We ask you to bless this time as we look at your word, guide us, show us what you want us to see through all of this, and we just thank you for all that you're going to show us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jeremiah chapter 2, starting at verse 9. Wherefore will I plead with you, says the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. For pass over the isles of Chittim and see, and send unto Kedar, and consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Has a nation changed their God, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which does not proffer? Be astonished, O you heavens, at this. Be you hor- horribly afraid, and, and be you very desolate, saith the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of the living waters, and hewn them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So we're going to look at this, and he goes, God says, how or wherefore will I plead or strive, contend with you? All right, so this plead in here is, you know, will I uh, contend with you and with your children's children will I strive or contend? So he's basically talking about three generations of contending with the people. And this is basically Jeremiah's prophecies. Remember, Jeremiah started prophesying at the middle of Josiah's reign, which is the last good king of Israel. And then he gets to witness, uh, witness, prophesy through four bad kings before the kingdom totally falls. And so he's going to be teaching for up, uh, over 48 years. And he's going to be speaking to them. So he's going to see in and of himself two generations and the birth of the third generation. And God is basically saying, will I contend for you for generations? And this is something that is very important for us because God really will contend for each generation to try to get their attention. But they will usually slip deeper and deeper into sins that their parents aren't giving them the foundation that they're supposed to have. And that's what we're seeing in even our country right now. Parents aren't teaching their children God's ways, and then we send them to public education to be taught all the wrong ways and, and the world's ways, and then we wonder why they don't follow God. And it's so sad because I've even heard Christians say, Well, I want my kids to make up their own minds. I think that's the dumbest thing any Christian could possibly say. I want my kids to go to hell. You know, so I'm not going to teach them all about God, I'm going to let them make their own decisions and let the world influence them to go to hell, and I don't really care. And I think that's really dumb. Uh, And here he's saying, well, God's going to contend for generation after generation, but each generation that gets further and further away from God. And it's harder and harder to turn their hearts back to him. And so we need to make sure that we're teaching our children, our grandchildren. Uh, For each of my grandchildren, I bought them... Uh, subscriptions to Christian magazines for kids and teenagers so that they have something positive being inputted into their lives. And for two of them, they live outside of their Christian home more often than they do their Christian home because they're in a split family. And then I've got another one who's being raised by my son and daughter-in-law, and they're going to raise him great because they've got him in church, and 
he's already getting a good foundation, but I'm adding to his foundation with the stuff that I take, take to for him. But you know, I don't get to see either, any, any of those three grandkids as much as I would like, but I'm going to input God's love into them as much as I can because I don't want to see them fall away from God because it is so easy for that to happen. And God says, you know, I'm going, I, I will contend. I will contend for you. I will contend for your children up to three generations in this particular statement. He says, for pass over the isles of Chittim and see. Now, the isles of Chittim are any of the islands of the Mediterranean. All right, it's a general term for all the islands of the Mediter Mediterranean. And he says, and the other one, and pass over and send unto Kedar. And Kedar is the eastern peoples, the Bedouins, the Arabians. So basically he's saying, go to the, go to the west and the east. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, for us, it would be go from uh, L.A. to New York. All right. So I'm getting, you know, no matter which direction you're going, I'm, I'm going to send these directions. And consider diligently and see if there has been such a thing. And this is something that God is, you know, examine, he's saying, examine this and see, has anything like this happened? And now here is what he's going to say. Has a nation changed their gods, which are no gods? Have they turned to different gods? And before, when this statement was made, it was very much that the nations did not change their gods. Uh, after Jesus came, there was lots of nations that changed gods to Christianity. But still, unfortunately, with those nations, oftentimes underlaying those nations was the foundation of the gods that they had worshipped before. Even flavoring the Christianity sometimes. And I don't want to pick on the Catholic Church, but it is true of the Catholic Church. You go to different parts of Europe and there's a different flavor to each one of the Catholic church, churches because they are influenced by the particular nation that they were in. You come to South America and Mexico, and the Catholic church is heavily influenced by all of their voodoo worship and all of those things that have been mixed into their Catholic traditions. So even when they change their God, they they blend their, their multiple uh, beliefs in. Uh, we have that territory between Greece and Turkey where the Ottoman Empire and the Catholics fought over and over for centuries. And all the people did was they made their own religion, mixing the two together so that whoever was conquered over them, they'd say, okay, we're, we're uh, Muslims when the Ottoman Empire ruled. And then the Catholics would come in, the uh, Catholic, uh, Catholic uh, Crusaders would come in and, and conquer them, and they'd be Catholics, but they still worshiped the same way, which was a mix of the two religions, because they didn't change. And this is what happens, and this is the question he's saying. Does a nation change their God? And when it comes right down to it, the answer is no. Uh, you know, Egypt is still known for, for worship of Ra, the sun. Uh, and we have Gomesh and Baal and all those things in the Middle East. And yes, the Muslims now rule over that, but all of theirs have had some influence. And, and it's not easy to change your God. 
And then God says, and these nations are worshiping things that aren't even gods. <laughs> he goes, they stick, they stick to their gods, and they're not even gods, but my people have exchanged or changed their glory, their splendor, for that which does not profit. This is a sad indictment of the people for Jeremiah's day. Everything that God had given them, he'd given them the promised land. He had promised them that that land was going to be their land and they were not going to be kicked out as long as they obeyed him. And he says, they have exchanged all of that for idols. And he doesn't understand, he's trying to say, how can this be? Now, the sad thing for us is, as Christians, how many times do we exchange God's great promises to us for basically idols, things that aren't God? And we see it over and over, you know, more so in some churches than others, because there are churches now that aren't really even preaching the gospel. And they are teaching things of the world. Uh, there are feel-good churches. God is, wants you to be happy. He wants you to be wealthy, healthy, and wise. And if you're not, something's wrong with you because you're obviously not following the God, you know, God that they're teaching. Well, the only problem is God never promised us all that stuff. He told us that we would be blessed. He taught, taught, teaches us that we will be at peace, and we need to be content. And the more we are on those, the more we probably will have in physical blessings as well. Not, but the point is that we're not con being content in the blessing. We're being content in the giver of the blessings. And that's the important step. We cannot forget the giver. He is more important than anything that is given to us. And he'll look at it and go, how can you exchange your glory? You had peace, you had contentment, you had joy, and you threw it all away to go after the world. And this is the sad thing. It's so easy to go after the world. If we're not in his word, we're not fellowshipping with his people, it is very easy to go after the world because we bombard ourselves with the world. And today I was working in a department and they were playing music and what little music I could understand, I knew I didn't want to be listening to. Uh, and it was really sad, the stuff that they were listening to on this radio, um, uh, it was radio stuff, but it was still just terrible lyrics to be listening to. And you know, when half of them went out, I turned it off. And they're going, who turned it off? I go, well, I turned the screaming banshees off because I didn't like hearing the words they were singing when I could understand them. And they go, it wasn't that bad. I'm going, it was awful, but go ahead, you're back now, turn it on. <laughs> you know, but it was just how much garbage is, is people fed every single moment of every day if they're not careful? And even for us as Christians, how much garbage do we take in from the world? And like I say, it's very easy. We listen to some of the songs, we listen to the movies, we see the TV shows, we read our books and magazines and all this stuff, and most of it is just a bunch of garbage being fed into our brains, and we need to make sure that we're being fed God's word as well, and even mostly, <laughs> uh, to make sure that we are not exchanging God's ways for the world's ways and falling into it, because we are fallen creatures. It's easy for us to fall into ex that exchange. 
And this is what he says here. And he says, be astonished or be appalled, um, O you heavens, and be horribly afraid. And I think this is very interesting. This word for hor horribly means swept away by a storm. Okay? So it's be swept away as a storm afraid. So he's talking about being really this fear totally sweeping them away. And if you've ever been in a really bad storm, um, you know, it's nice when you're inside to look at a bad storm. It's not bad if you have a nice, dirty house. Uh, I've never been on it, but I've read the books and stories about men at sea during a bad storm and how hard it could be. Or somebody flying in an airplane. <laughs> you know, they try desperately to avoid the bad storms because of how much they will buffet the airplane. And this is what it's talking about, you know, man, man overboard type weather, uh, you know, for this be afraid. Uh, be very desolate or exceedingly desolate, says the Lord. So he says, if you're changing your God, be astonished or awestruck, be swept away in with, by the anger and be very desolate. This should be something that brings great disappointment when we see it, and especially if we see it in ourselves, that we're slipping away. And how easy is it to slip away? You know, it is so easy. When I slipped away from the church, I made all kinds of excuses. I'm busy. I'm, I mean, I'm working until 3 o'clock in the morning on Saturday. I'm too tired to go to church, or, and I have to be back at work at, at 12 o'clock, you know, 1 o'clock, so I don't have time to sleep and go to church. And and, you know, all these, all these excuses, I really need this job to pay, you know, to support my family, all kinds of excuses that I made. And then after a certain period of time, I stopped going to church altogether. And then I justify, well, nobody cares that I'm missing, nobody's called me, nobody, you know, nobody's missed me, so it doesn't really matter. So it started with these little, you know, excuses. Then it came... It's all their fault because they have not called me. And it was, you know, I've come to learn it was my fault all the, all the way through from the very beginning to the very end. And then the next thing you know, I'm not, I haven't been in a church or reading my Bible for a year and a half. And it just started out so subtly. And I exchanged God for the world. And having joy, I mean, I was enjoying, you know, working and the profits and the prestige and all that stuff, and yet empty. And it was all because I had slowly slipped away. And it's so easy to do. And we need to be very careful to not let it happen. And when, it's, when we see it happening to ourselves, we need to stop it. If we see it happening in somebody else, we just need to be gently encouraging them. You know, we've missed you, come back. And sometimes that's all it takes. It's just, we've missed you, come back. It's nice to see you. And, I just want to see you again, whatever it might be, and say, you know, let people know you have been missed. And that makes all the difference sometimes for people. And I think that if somebody had actually stepped up and said, hey, where have you been? And you know, we've missed you. I probably would have been in church a whole lot earlier. You know, maybe not. I mean, I'm still caught up in work, my workaholism. But then at least have taken away my excuse. <laughs> Uh, but we need to be careful about this. And it says, For my people have committed two evils, God says. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, 
And this is very interesting. They have forsaken. They have ceased to care about God, who is their very life. And then he goes and hewed out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they have exchanged the fountain of living water, which is God, for wells or rock enclosures to hold water that are broken that don't hold any water. And says, okay, you've left the living water for something that you've created that you're going to say is going to give me water and it can't even hold water. How many times do we exchange God for the emptiness of the world? And this is what he's saying. He goes, you think, you, you think you've got nice water there. You think you've dug these holes to, to hold water. And these, they can't even hold water. They're broken in the bottom. They lose all the water that you're putting in them. And there's no joy no quenching of your thirst because you have abandoned the true living word. This is what Jesus told the woman of Samaria when she says, you know, he goes, I've had, I have, if you had known who was speaking to you, you would have asked me for water and I would have given you living water that you thirst no more. And he wasn't speaking about physical thirst. He was speaking about her great desire for life. And this is what ends up happening is that we desire life. It's what brings us to God in the first place. We know that we do not truly have life. Even if we may be even successful, successful in business and people look at us and think that we have everything, but we know that we are empty without God in us with the cisterns that are broken Lots and lots of good things seem to be happening. Lots and lots of benefits around us. But none of it fulfills. And God says, I am the living, the living water. You need to come to me to be fulfilled. And we all have that emptiness in us that only God can fill. As Pascal said, that every person has a God-shaped vacuum in their, in their, in their being. And if you have a God-shaped vacuum in it, it doesn't matter what you throw into it, it's not going to get filled. All right? Because God is infinite. So what he's saying is we have an infinite desire for the infinite God that cannot be filled with finite things. And so many people try to fill that emptiness with the finite things of this world. And they think, well, if I just get rich enough, if I just get famous enough, if I just get a good enough family if I just get and they put in whatever it is and if they would just take a time to read the book of Ecclesiastes or they would realize that nothing fills it in Solomon tried and documented his trying of filling his emptiness with finite things and in his case it was by human standards not very finite but by God's standards it was finite he had all the wealth to deal with and he still didn't get wealthy enough to fill that emptiness. He did all kinds of projects and put his name on every building in, in Israel and, and parks and, and, and all this and didn't, didn't find it. Uh, put his attention to women, didn't find it there. Put it into to alcohol and, and, the, and the drugs of their day, didn't find it there. You know, he did everything he could to try to find the peace 
and it was all empty cisterns that could not hold the water. He would dump all this finite stuff in and it would run out because it was not big enough to contain what God gave him. And he would have needed to be aware of this word, which he, did, he was. He was aware, you know, aware of it even though this was written long after Solomon, but Solomon understood God is all that can fill this. And this is so important for us is to always remember God is the only one that can fill the emptiness. Now, it's really sad when it happens to non-believers. They don't know any better. But it's really sad when, unbelie- when believers drift away from God and start looking for other places to fulfill their need for what God has already given them. And I, it is really sad. Then I have to wonder, were they really saved? Did they, or are they just really being foolish? And that's only between them and God. I don't, I don't know the answer. But my goal for my life is, God, I want to finish well. Don't let me drift off into empty cisterns. Help me stay focused on you at all times, all the way to the day that I die. I want to hear from God, well done, good and faithful uh, servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Uh, And that's what I want to hear from him. And very important because I have seen so many people that, I'm not going to say they're not saved, but they drift away from God and start living life in a totally different direction. And you're going, come back, (laughs) come back, come back to where you are. If you've been in church long enough, you've seen the people that have done that. They look, they're on fire. They're, they're trying, they're probably teaching classes and leading singing and, and doing all kinds of stuff for the church. And then they disappear. And it's like, okay, what, what do we have here? And, And it makes you wonder sometimes, you know, why did they exchange the living water emptiness and who knows maybe they'll come back I did you know if somebody had known me during that year and a half and I wasn't walking and going to church they would have gone well see what kind of Christian you are you know you don't you're not doing anything and the really hard thing was that I was witnessing more and I don't know if I was witnessing more if I remember it more because I felt so much like a hypocrite for witnessing because I would tell people that they needed Jesus to solve their problems and I had picked up a Bible for you know for for a year and a half and I'm telling them they need Jesus uh, so it was very hard. I knew the answers. <laughs> I knew what they needed, and I knew what I needed, but yet was not reaching out to uh, grab hold of what was needed. I was in the middle of empty stuff, empty, empty stuff, trying to take care of my family, you know, work, and all these other things that were coming along. And God says, let's just exchange yourself back to me. <laughs> Come back to the living water. And this is a very important thing for us. Verse 14, is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? The young lions roared upon him and yelled, and they made his land waste, and the cities are burned without inhabitant. Also the children of Noph and Tahathanes have broken the crown of your head. Have you not procured this unto yourselves? In that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he, led you by the, when he led you by the way. And now what have you to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? Or what have you to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the river? Your own wickedness shall correct you and your backsliding shall reprove you. Know therefore and see 
that it is an evil and thing and bitter that you have forsaken the Lord your God and that my fear is not in you, saith the Lord of God of hosts. So here he's coming back to Israel again even further. They've abandoned him. They've gone to the, the cisterns that don't hold water. And he says, is Israel a servant? Is he a home, home-born slave? Why is he spoiled? So this is kind of an interesting statement because he says, is he a servant? Now this first idea of a servant is one that has been bought or captured. Okay, this is a person who's gone into slavery who doesn't want to be a slave, has no desire to be a slave, has not grown, it, grown up as a slave. This is somebody that has been conquered in battle and turned into a slave. This is the one that's going to need to be chained up at night because he's going to try to run away. He's going to be probably defiant at first. And then he says, so is Israel that type of type of a servant? Has he been, has my, have my people been conquered and sold off into slavery? The next thing he says, is he a home-born slave? This is the slave that was born in your home to your other slaves. They have grown up a slave. It's the only life they've known. They're generally considered to be more compliant and more reliable because they've never known another lifestyle. So they were just, you know, to be, I can trust this one. This is going to be somebody I can trust. And then why is he spoiled? Why has he been taken out? And this isn't spoiled rotten. This is, this is a spoil of war, a conquered, 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 of, conquered of war. So here he's saying, what has happened to my people? I, I have not sold you. I have not delivered you. You're not home-born, you know, you're not born into this bondage that you're, that you're living in, and you're not a victim of a lost battle. And it, this is a threefold question to them. And the same thing we would go to us. You know, you're not sold into slavery. Why are you back under the yoke of sin? Why have you bound yourself back up under the laws and been, been, been a victim of a war? And this is something that's very important for us. When we are saved, we are completely changed from the inside out. God sees us as perfect. And none of these other things should matter. And we easily sometimes sell ourselves back into slavery and forget about God and wander away from him, just as the children of Israel have done in this particular case. It says, The young lions roar upon him and, yell, and yelled, and they made his land waste. His cities are burnt without inhabitant. And here is something that's very interesting. It seems apparent all through the scriptures that when God's people are following God, they don't even have to worry about the wild animals in their, in their areas. All right? And we see this picture, and I'm not going to go through every single one, but we see this. When they're following God, it seems that the wild animals stay out of stay up in the mountains where they belong and not, in the, not around the cities and the farms. When they're rebelled against God, the animals come down out of the mountains and get into their fields and attack their sheep and their animals and, and wander around their towns and cause problems. And he says, the, the young lions have roared and yelled, and it says his land has been laid waste and his cities have been burnt. And this is the problem that they were having in this time. 
not only were the wild animals coming down to bother them, they were being attacked by the neighboring cities, uh, neighboring nations. Marauders would come in, burn their cities, you know, carry off their women and their children and burn their cities and destroy their crops. So they're being multiple fronts here. They're being attacked by the nations. They're being attacked by the, by the animals. And God is saying, I'm trying to get your attention. And I, and I was thinking about this is how many reports are we seeing on the news these days of mountain lions in the towns and the cities and bears and all the wild animals that have never been inside these cities in recent years. And now all of a sudden, as we get further and further from God, we're seeing more and more wild animals in our towns. That's what I was going to say because you said the wild animals, when they're good, the animals don't bother, but when they're bad and they go, that's what I think is happening now. It's a big part of what's happening. It's a big part of what's happening because you never saw bears, in, you know, or, you know, mountain lions in, in Phoenix, you know, in, in, over the years. In L.A.? I forget the town, but yeah, right in. Yeah. Probably near the hills, but yeah. yeah. But, you know, these are things like, it would be a very, very rare thing to hear anything about wild animals in these towns. Now we're hearing it probably at least once or twice a week. Yeah. Uh, down in Phoenix, too. Yeah. yeah. In the busy part. Yeah. And all of this is because the people have rejected God. So God is trying to get attention. I will say categorically, not every storm that hits us, but many of these storms that are hitting us in this country and in this world are judgments from God saying, pay attention, wake up, return to me, come back to me, because that is exactly what he did in the Old Testament. It's exactly what he did through the New Testament. So he's saying, have I got your attention yet? Are you going to repent? And things are just going to get worse. More wild animals in the cities, more storms, more, more earthquakes, more, more uh, horrendous storms, because God is trying to shake people up and wake, wake them back to him. Even like, I think even when they have drought, that's because of... It's drought. Yeah, droughts and famines. Droughts and famines. Wars and rumors of wars. It's amazing if you look up how many wars are going on, and the way they define wars is where, you know, four or five hundred people have died in, in the battles. There are hundreds of wars around the world right now. They can't even escape out in the middle of the Pacific. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. That, that uh, tsunami and the, the underwater. So That's God is shaking things up, and it's time for people to pay attention. Now, well, if you read this and not knowing it was the Bible, you think it was going on right now, which it yeah, is. it is. And the, the thing that we're looking at is most pastors aren't willing to say what I just said, that these storms and everything are God's wake-up call. And I'm not saying every single storm is and every single problem is, but we're having record-breaking snowfalls up in the north. We're having tsunamis, you know, all over the place. We're having hurricanes. We're having tornadoes where people never saw tornadoes. We're seeing, you know, uh, very large hurricanes and typhoons that are destroying 
nations. Now, part of it is we build places in stupid places, and it costs a lot of money to replace. But the storm themselves are severe, and we're seeing earthquakes all over the place, and volcanoes are starting to 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 erupt and act up. And you know, we look at this and say, God, you've used this stuff in the past. We're seeing famines develop in different places. We're seeing droughts in America. We have you know drought conditions over most of the most of the country. And so we're looking at God shaking things up. And we need to be able to say, God, we need to repent. Because if we do not repent, they, they intensify. And then God brings judgment upon the nation and takes it out from being a nation. Um, I don't know what's going to happen because almost the whole world is in this condition. The whole world is rejecting God, which I think just leads us up to the tribulation coming up because it is the whole world to in being involved in all of this. So we have a great front row seat of a very trying period of time. The good news for us is we are in God's hands. He will protect, he will keep, he will supply our needs. He will give us strength if we have to become martyrs. And he will take care of whatever we have to go through, he will take care of. And we'll see all of this stuff happening. And watch what's going on and see the world transform around us. But we need to focus on him and know that he is still in charge. And that's the most important thing about this. I think it's funny when you listen to people because they'll talk about how bad things are and how awful things are and how this whole world is going to be, you know, ripped to shreds. Uh, you know, growing up, it was the nuclear bomb was going to wipe out the world. And I go, well, you know what? I just know that God says it's not going to happen. You know, he has to have a world for Jesus to be able to maintain and he's going to rule the world. So I know a nuclear bomb's not going to to destroy it. Well, we got to worry about germ warfare. Yeah, a lot of people might die, but germ warfare is not going to take out the entire world because Jesus comes back and rules over the, the survivors of the tribulation period. Now, a lot of people are going to die during the tribulation period. You know, I have taken and added up the numbers, and about 66% of the population of the world dies during the tribulation period. That's a lot of people. Two out of every three people will be dead. And now that may mean certain nations are totally wiped out, and uh, you know to make those numbers you know work out. I don't know, but it says a third of the people here die, a quarter of the people here die, and you know, and you add up all those percentages and find out that you're looking at about 66% of the population dying during the tribulation period. That's a lot of people come, you know, dying for God to make his point. And then he says, also the children of Noph and Tohaphanes have broken the crown of your head or hit the top of your head, basically. And in case you want to know where these place, Noph is the ancient name for the city of Memphis in Egypt, which is still a big city in Egypt. And Tohaphanes is another name for Tanis. And Tanis was a city located in the upper south-southeast corner of the Nile de Delta. Uh, so it was a very famous city. It's well known in archaeology. There is some questions on whether it existed by, by the world. The Bible mentions it, so I'm going to say it did exist. Uh, someday they'll find it if they want to find it. 
but they know that it was up in the the top southeast uh, southeast southeast corner of the delta uh, of the Nile, uh, Nile Delta. So he's saying these Egyptians basically have struck you in your head. In other words, they have attacked. And we read into this because they had reached out to Egypt to deliver them. Egypt was a failing great nation or falling great nation at this point in time. Uh, their heyday was back when Joseph was ru ruling in there. Uh, that was their big day. That was when Egypt was the, the big nation. But they always stayed a semi-powerful nation. They were not a powerhouse like they were, but they were big enough that nobody really bothered them. Kind of like many of our European nations. They're, they're just big enough, just strong enough that nobody really wants to... to antagonize them um, you know and, and the United States used to be a superpower we're now falling down into let's antagonize the United States and try and see how much backbone they have which is zero nowadays uh, but we see this over and over and this is where Egypt it was Egypt was the superpower house now it's just big enough just strong enough to be able to throw some weight around and and every time they tried to hire Egypt, it, it failed them. And one of the other things that we think about when we're in the scriptures is Egypt also represents the world. All right, so when Jesus, when God talks about why did you go to Egypt, not only was he talking about just the nation, but he's going to, why did you go to the ways of the world rather than trust me? And this is the same question he'll ask us. Why are you going back to Egypt? Why are you going back to the ways of the world rather than trusting me. And this is something that's very important for us to consider. How easy it is for me to go back to the ways of the world that, we, that I know don't work, because they didn't work in the past, and they've never worked any other time that I've tried doing it, and yet so often our first instinct is to do it the world's way rather than go to God. And we have to be careful of that. Our fallen nature is so easy to fall back into, well, you know, I'm going to solve this problem somehow myself. I'm not going to go to God. And said it so often, you know, we have this phrase around churches and everything, and sometimes outside the church, I've tried everything else, I might as well pray. Okay, what are we saying? Well, you know, I've tried, you know, it's, it's, I've tried to do everything I can, and I'm not big enough to take care of it, so now we'll let God take, try to help. And as a Christian, our first answer is said, I've prayed, now I'll go out and try things and see what, what God wants done. But my prayers first. And it's very hard sometimes because our number one answer to any problem is to go to God in prayer. And even our blessings might be the number one answer to go, go to God and pray. But do we spend that time in prayer and then let God move? And this is something that is very hard because I know many people, they're going, well, every open door is from God. Well, I know that Satan can open doors just as well as God can. And so we need to be praying. We need to be looking at God and saying, God, is this the right open door? Because Satan can open doors and keep us moving in the wrong direction. 
to, to say, well, here's your open door. Here's, here's the easy way to fix it. Just walk through that door. And you end up getting blindsided when you walk through that door and going, this was not the right answer. It's so important to be in prayer and say, God, I need discernment and guidance in which way to go. I am not an open door believer. I know there's lots of Christians out there that, you know, and even pastors that teach, if the door's open, it's got to be from God. And I don't buy that at all. Uh, because I have had too many doors opened up for me that weren't God opening the doors. They looked good. They looked like the answer. They, uh, this was going to answer all the problems that I had. And it looked real good by the world standards. And walk through them and find out that it was all an, a mirage. And nothing worked once I went through that door. And it was a trap. So we need to be very careful to be praying prayerfully consider any open door that comes away. And I'm not going to say that every open door is bad and every open door is good, but it is just be prayer in prayer as you walk through them. Because God is there. He will bring things to us in fruition. And so we want to be careful not to seek after the world and what looks good. And it says, you have... Have you not procured this unto yourself in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you by the way? Now what have you to do in the way of Egypt to drink the waters of Sihor? And what have you to do in the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the, of the river? So here we have the same statement coming in. He goes, Have you not produced or received this unto yourself? In other words, don't you deserve what's coming your coming to you all right your sins have have done this and you're only getting what you have sown and this is the greatest thing that we have so the law of sowing and reaping we reap what we sow so what seed we sow we will reap the harvest for and this is very very important because i've had many people going why are all these bad things happening to me and I had to be very diplomatic, but it might be, well, look at all the lies you said and the people you cheated and, and you, you, got your, you got to the top by, by destroying everybody else around you and now you're wondering why you're the target of everybody trying to destroy you. All right? You're wondering why when you, you sowed nothing but deceit, why nobody believes you or why they're treating you with deceit. So... We get what we sow. And there's always a consequence for every action that we do. Now, some of them are rewards, and we like those kind of consequences. Some of them are chastisements, and we don't like those kind of consequences. But this is what God's saying. You get, aren't, are you not getting what you deserve? The seeds that you have sown, you are reaping. And again, he's talking to four generation, uh, four successive, successive kings that are evil. And the country gets worse and worse with each one of them. And he keeps telling people, you know, God says, just humble yourselves and submit to this person and, he will, and God will deliver you in your time. And they rebel. Not only are they rebelling against God, they're rebelling against the, the people he's using to judge them. And the next judgment's a little harsher. 
over and over again we see this happening to them. He says, you know, if you brought this on yourself, in that you have forsaken the Lord your God when he led you by the way. It says, God gave you the directions. He was walking with you. And this is the key, led you by the way. It says, God is walking with you. He's leading you where to go. And you forsook him. And his word for forsook literally means to cease to care. Then they said, you cease to care about God and his ways. And then he goes on with this one and he says, uh, now the, what, have you do, what have you to do with the way of Egypt? They say, so you're going to Egypt, you've forsaken God, now you're in Egypt, the world. What have you to do with the ways of the world? And to drink the waters of Sihor. Sihor is a river or a canal to the east of the Nile in Egypt. It's right on the edge of the edge of it. He says, you're going to Egypt, you're drinking the waters of Egypt, and then it goes back again to you've forsaken the living fountain of life. And now you're going to the world and drinking the world's empty waters. And then he goes on to say, uh, what have you to do with the way of Assyria? All right, so we, you, don't like, you don't like Egypt? Yeah. Assyria has taken the northern kingdom. What have you to do with the ways of the world in, in either direction? And this one is to drink of the river, which is talking about the Euphrates. And right, when you see the river, there, it's going to refer to the Euphrates River. And you're going, either way, you're drinking the ways of the world. And we need to be so careful that we are drinking in the living God and not drinking in the ways of the world. And again, I've said it several times already and tonight, it is so easy to fall into the ways of the world. Where are we being entertained? How are we being entertained? What are, what are we spending our time doing? And I've shared this with a lot of people. I mean, there's people who want to study other religions, you know, just supposedly so they'll know what they think and what they do. And that is, that is a fine thing to do. And, and I've said, if you want to study the other religions, I have one re recommendation for you. Spend an equal or more time in the Word of God to wash out the garbage that you just put into your head. Uh, we had a great, great apologist on on religions. He wrote several great books on it, but by the end of his life he had spent so much time studying other religions that his grasp on Christianity started to slide. And we need, and you, so you have to be careful. You must be spending your time in the Word of God. I won't be doing it because I'm going to study this until I know it and I'll never know it until I won't study other ones. And that's good because the whole idea is that if we know the truth, the lies are easy, easy to, de to defend because all I've got to do is answer with the truth. And this goes back to the way they, tra they, they train treasury officers, officers to find counterfeit bills by having them handle nothing but the real ones. They, they know all the signs of the real ones. They know what the feel of a real one. And then their final test is one day they're hand, you know, they're, they put one counterfeit bill in there and usually they find it real quick because it is, it is different. They may not know what is different about it. And this is something that I have said many times. 
oftentimes, and I, and I encourage you all listen to the Christian radio, but I also say make sure you're leaving your discernment up. Because there's a lot of teaching that goes on on these Christian teachers that is not good. And there's been times when I'll be listening and just barely listening. It's kind of background, background teaching. And all of a sudden, the hairs in the back of my neck creep up and alarm bells go off in my head. And I'm going, what did he just say? You know, and I listen a little closer. And I'm going, oh, I'm going to turn this show off for a little while. And sometimes there are good teachers that do this. But we need to know what the truth is so that when we hear a lie, it sounds those alarms to us. And how do we get to know the truth? We study the Word of God and study the Word of God. And, you know, for me, I don't want every, anybody agreeing with me just because I'm pastor and just because I say them, because that would be scary. That would be leading us to a cult. And I don't want us to have a cult. If you disagree with me, the only thing I want you to be able to do is explain to me why you believe what you believe. And in most cases, I know what you're going to say because I know the other side of things that, you know, that, are, that are believed out there. And as long as you have studied and know what you believe and why you believe, that's between you and God. I believe what I believe because I have studied it for a long time. And I've thoroughly studied and I know why I believe what I believe. And I can explain it. But if, uh, you know, we want to make sure that you know, and I don't want people just agreeing with me because that's what cults do. They agree with their leader no matter what the leader says. And this is how you have a Jim Jones who started out with good teaching and then ended up, you know, with a bunch of people committing suicide because of the stupid things that he said and everybody just following him because he had been good for so long that they never analyzed what he said. So we need to be very careful. We don't want to be a cult just saying, you know, we're following this man because this man was really good. Well, that's a dangerous place to be at. And, you know, I hope that I'm a good teacher. I hope I'm not going to ever teach anything, you know, drastically wrong. But I also don't want people just accepting it because I said, and I want, as I've said many times, I want us to be good Bereans. And that was Paul said. Paul said of the Bereans, you search the scriptures to prove what I have said. And this is Paul that he's saying, he's praising them for checking his teaching. If Paul is praising them, and I definitely want to praise people and say, you know, be good Bereans, check out everything I teach because I'm nowhere near the, the, the teaching level of Paul. So we want to make sure we're looking at God's word, we're studying his word, we're getting in and we're saying, what is this truth to live by? And don't go into the world. Don't slip into the world and get away from it. And the only way that we can keep out of the world's thinking is to spend a lot of time in God's word. And spend that time, time every day in his word. Because this is the only thing that is going to change the way we think and change the way that we think to God's ways. And the more we study his word, the better off we're going to be. Now, I'm not expecting any of us to say, okay, I'm throwing away my TV and my radio and all I'm going to do and my books and everything and all I'm going to do is read the Bible. I don't expect us to get that far off into things because that then goes too far the other way probably. If I'm not aware of what's going on in the world or anything, it makes it very hard to share with other people, very hard to interact with other people. But this still should be our primary source. This book should be what I am looking at more often than not. 
given a choice, this is the book I want to read. I've got all kinds of books sitting next to my nightstand, uh, the nightstand next to my bed. Too many of them. All of them are written, are, you know, I think there's five or six of them, and each one of them I've read maybe 100 to 300 pages in it, and I, you know, but I always go back to the Bible as my primary source of information. And I don't really care what these other people are saying and doing. Because and, even if we're reading Christian books, so much of the Christian books today are not based in the Bible. They're based in sociology and psychology and, and this is what I think. And you know, the world's way of thinking is so deep into so many of our Christian books. And they throw a verse or two in it and every once in a while just to make it sound spiritual. And you look at it and going, okay, this is, you know, did I step into a sociology class? <laughs> you know, did I step into a psychology class? You know, where, where is God's teaching in all of this? And I'm not putting a blanket statement on it, but I said so much of it. In, there's, in our day and age, Christianity is suffering. It has been infiltrated by the world, an empty lifestyle, an empty thought process and does not have the power of God behind it because they're not focused on God. They're focused on the world. And we're seeing this over and over. And it's, it's very interesting as I look at different articles about how churches should run and what should be done and how to do this and how to do that. I'm going, wow, these are my business classes when I was in, in, in business college. Now, they just have a little bit of Christianese put around them, but all they're doing is teaching the world's way of doing things. And I'm going, this is not right. It is not right that we're just wrapping up the world with Christian terminology and saying this is spiritual. And we need to be very careful about that. Are we following God in his way, or are we going to the world for their answers? And it's so easy to, 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 to change over. So easy to go after that direction. And we're going to end here. Lord, we thank you for this evening. Thank you for helping us and teach us always to seek you, to follow you, to look to you for answers and not to the world, even though everybody is trying to move into that direction. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, where will you be when you die? We ask this question of a lot of people oftentimes, and the biggest answer we'll get is, I hope I will be in heaven. If hope is your answer, you don't know God, and this is a problem. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The wages of the sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If you do not know for sure that you're going to go into heaven, please, today, make your decision to follow him. It is simply just ask him, Lord, I am a sinner. Please come into my life and save me and make him your Lord. If you said that prayer, let us know so that we can send you a new believers packet. You can contact us at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or even pastor at chloridebaptistchurch.com. Or you can just send us a regular letter at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona. 86431. Thank you very much for listening and have a wonderful day.